Thought maybe you boys might be interested in putting on a big-time wrestling bout. You know, make a nice hunk of dough for yourself. It's time to Santa? Yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus. Morgan, you're out of here. You don't have the right temperament for the trade. You're a dead man. What am I supposed to do? There's always barber college. Frankie, I know you're a great wrestler, but my brother, who ain't as handsome as you, is as strong as Charles Atlas. Yeah, but I've wrestled women that are bigger than him. Sure, you got fat, sloppy women. Hello and welcome to Camel Clutch Cinema, the podcast where we talk about movies that star wrestlers or have wrestling in them. I'm Guy Hutchinson. And I'm Craig Cohen. On this episode, we are talking about The Rundown. And as always, be forewarned, this discussion will be chock full of spoilers. Yes, we'll spoil the hell out of this movie. When uh, when did you see this last, Craig? I actually saw it for the first time about a week ago on a home box office. Total loaded question. So you you tweeted out, oh, I just watched the rundown, and, 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 and you said you thought it was pretty good. Mm-hmm. And I said, you'd never seen the rundown? God, I yeah. love the rundown. Yeah, I was. it was one of those uh, surprising things. It was one of those movies that I'd always wanted to see, missed it in theaters for whatever reason, and I'd never caught up with it. And then thankfully, you know, it, I was in front of the TV and it was coming on HBO, so I, I finally remedied that. Now, I saw this movie in the theater. This This came out September 26, 2003. And at the time when this movie came out, California was having a recall election because Governor Gray Davis was... Uh, facing potential uh, recall, so which means you get pulled out of office, and people had to vote on another candidate. So you would go to the polls, and let's say you liked them. You said, all right, well, I'm voting no on the recall, but you still got to vote on another candidate. And what happened was that he got recalled, and Arnold Schwarzenegger became governor. Now, yes, I- and that was a, a – he, he beat out, what, Gary Coleman and uh, the <laughs> porn star – yeah. Angelique, I believe, and yeah. Gary Coleman, and a bunch of other wacky candidates. Also, Bustamante, who was the lieutenant governor, was probably the most serious candidate for if you were voting. What what they said was, hey, if you if you don't want to Gray Davis to go, vote for Bustamante just in case he gets ousted. And so there was always the fear that he would get ousted, and then Bustamante, who was his you know right hand man, would step in. But instead. Arnold Schwarzenegger, the world heavyweight champion of SmackDown movies. Yes. <laughs> um, just to refresh anybody's memory that doesn't remember this, he got the, what was it, the box office championship belt. Yeah, I think he was promoting on SmackDown uh, End of Days. Okay, so, and he got involved in a match. He hit Triple H with a chair, I think. I mean, there was some real crazy Arnold Schwarzenegger nonsense on SmackDown one weekend. And so Arnold Schwarzenegger ran and won and then won re-election and became governor of the state of California. This is all history, but at the time, I was out in California. I went to, to a, um, a, an event where Arnold was going to be speaking. And it was really exciting because, you know, at the last minute I heard, you know, I saw in the news that morning that Arnold was going to be speaking in Santa Monica. So I said, I know where that is. I'm going to go right over there and I'm going to get to see Arnold Schwarzenegger, the Terminator, give a speech. I don't care if he's talking about politics or shoelaces. It's the Terminator. I got to go see it. So I go okay. out there. Yeah. I see him give this speech. And then afterwards, I've got the rest of the day free because, you know, I'm not going to work now because, you know, I went to go see him at 9 a.m. or whatever. 
Yeah. So I go over to the Chinese theater, Grauman's Chinese theater, and I go see this movie, which may have been out at the time for a week or two. I don't remember. I know the recall election was in early October, but yeah. I saw Arnold speak. And then I saw this movie, which the first spoiler will give you. Arnold is in this movie. Yes. And it blew my mind. I, for a brief moment, as I'm sitting there, I'm like, if you saw this in Wyoming, does the Wyoming governor show up for two seconds and tell The Rock to have fun? Yes. Just, and I got to tell you, on that glorious, huge uh, Chinese theater screen, he's impossible to miss. Yeah, it, it is. It was such a weird moment. It, it From the moment you, I saw him, and he's only on screen, I, I think, maybe a, a second and a half, two seconds. You know, two two words. But from the moment I saw him, I was like, does everybody else see this? Look at that. Arnold Schwarzenegger's on the screen. The Chinese theater, if if you if the name doesn't click with you, it's the one where people put the handprints in the cement out in front and you can see Gary Cooper and uh and uh John Wayne's handprints and Marilyn Monroe's hand and footprints. Beautiful theater, the best place to see any movie, and I always say that any movie I see there automatically I kind of like it. It's hard to hate a movie that I see in that theater. That movie theater is so gorgeous, so beautiful that I really enjoyed this movie. And then I revisited it on home video and I still loved it, which was a good thing. Yeah, it's it's one of those movies that even in the the advertising campaign, it really spelled out what it was, which, which was sort of just a fun action romp, you know. Let's go through a plot summary, Craig. Sure thing. The Rock teams up with Sean William Scott for a wildly entertaining action adventure that Good Morning America's Joel Siegel raves is one of the year's biggest, most fun movies. Beck, The Rock, is a bounty hunter sent into the treacherous jungles of the Amazon to bring the rebellious Travis, Sean William Scott, back to the States. When Beck and Travis reluctantly join forces to hunt down a priceless treasure, this unlikely team embarks on a pulse-pounding non-stop thrill ride. So this movie made $80 million at the box office. Uh, yeah, against a budget of about $85 million, which was, was pretty surprising to find out. This was very early in The Rock's career as a movie star. Yeah, in fact, it was so early that he was still, uh, I guess, under some kind of contract with Vince McMahon because uh, it was a WWE Films co-production and Vince is an executive producer. Yes, how crazy yeah. is it to see Vince McMahon in the closing credits of this movie? Yeah. It's sort of like, you know, one of those things where I think he was probably about as involved as Bill Cosby was with um, that Men of Honor oh, movie. Oh, right. Which, yeah, you know, it's you interesting know. you mention that. Yeah, this was a movie called Men of Honor, Cuba Gooding Jr., Ro uh, Robert De Niro. And you yeah. and I saw this in the theater, and all of a sudden we see Bill Cosby's name in the opening credits. And we're like, is he going to be in this? What is this all about? And I think we looked it up, and 20 years before, he was supposed to play the Cuba Gooding Jr. part. Yeah, and... All those years later, there was still some kind of contract that said if the movie ever gets made, yeah. Dr. William H. Cosby, MD, PhD, uh, whatever else, uh, would get his name in as an executive producer. Yes. It's probably the easiest money Cosby ever made. That's true. And his, his sweater got a co-executive producer <laughs> credit. Uh, the, the director on this movie was Peter Berg and I immediately heard that name and I was like, I know Peter Berg. Peter Berg is the goof in the great white hype. Yes. Um, this is the great white hype is a, is a fun boxing movie. If you ever get a chance to see it and it's about them building up this white boxer played by Peter Berg, 
to to fight against the champion, and and the champion is is Damon Wayans, oddly enough, and uh, he he gets built up, and and I'll spoil that movie for you. He gets built up, and then he gets knocked out real quick, which That's is great. pretty funny. Now look, um, explain this to me, Peter Burke, somewhat well known actor, is he a director of other things? Yes, he directed Friday Night Lights, the TV show, which has a an uncredited Terry Funk appearance. Uh, the Kingdom, The Rundown, of course, Hancock, and last year's Battleship. And I got to tell you, regardless of what you heard about Battleship, you need to see that movie. Oh, wow. There is a scene where uh, a disabled um, veteran who who has lost his legs, he has robotic legs, and he fights an alien bare knuckle. <laughs> Yes. Amazing. That you know that you sold it to me right there. <laughs> I I see in the credits here you mentioned uh Hancock. Hancock to me is the most disappointing movie I think I've ever seen. Oh my god, I remember going to see that in the theaters and 20 minutes into it I was saying to myself, this is probably one of the best superhero movies I've ever seen. Right. right. And when the credits rolled at the end I was like, I hope I never have to watch that movie again. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that is the worst feeling. And I had a very similar feeling. That opening scene on the highway is so good that I'm thinking they, this movie can only go up from here. And no, no, I was, I was a fool to think that. Yeah, it's, it was one of the strangest movie going experiences I've had in terms of how quick it, it turned on me. But one man whose career could only go up from here, Dwayne Johnson, The Rock. This is one of his early feature films as a star. Before this, obviously, one of the biggest stars in wrestling history. Yeah, I mean, along with, with Austin, he's, you know, the most important guy in terms of the the Attitude Era and, and bringing the, the WWE back to prominence after, you know, during their battles uh, in the Monday Night Wars with, with um, WCW. So, college football player in 1991, University of Miami's championship team, goes over to the Canadian Football League, plays for a few months, then gets cut, goes to his dad, says, look, I'm going to take up wrestling. And his yes. dad's like, I don't want you to do that. Now, his dad's Rocky Maivia, you know, Rocky Johnson. Yes. Rocky Johnson and his grandfather's Peter Maivia, legacy of wrestling, two great heroes. Uh, but his dad was like, you know, I don't really want you to do that. I want you to do something else. And I think what his dad didn't see was that he would not only become the star he became, but he would transform wrestling into a world where I think today uh, in the same situation, he'd be like, oh, go into that. There's a lot of money in there. There's a lot of money. There's a it's a it's a much safer, better industry than it was in my time. Mm -hmm. And I also think it's it's really hard to think about. The Rock, when he first started out, and we talked about this, I think, on the Fast Five episode. Mm -hmm. uh, but when he came out, he was, you know, sort of a real vanilla. Oh my God! You know, give it a hundred and ten percent. Yeah, yeah. You know, he, you know, and he really bears no resemblance to the, the performer that he became. I mean, he went almost through an entire transformation. I think once his real personality started to shine through. Yes. Yes, indeed. So, and a tremendous work ethic too. I mean, he, you know, put in great matches. You know, great mic. You know, great mic work. And oh yeah, you know, you can see why he, he, you know, he he ended up where he did. Yeah, I mean, he he is the uh, uh, ten time WWF heavyweight champion, right? He has mm -hmm. the WWE championship nine times, and he has 
held the WCW championship twice. <laughs> Which just says something about when that world championship came over from WCW to WWE because he never wrestled over there. Yeah. But uh, put out a book, you know, The Rock says, which if you read it today is really comical because it doesn't sound anything like the man you see on TV and in movies today. Big movie star. We did The Fast Five, which Mm -hmm. he did, which is a, you know, a big time movie, you know, big, exciting box office film. He's had a bunch of other hits, including uh, Be Cool, Walking Tall, Gridiron Gang, The Game Plan, Get Smart, Race to Witch Mountain, Planet 51. Have you seen this one, Craig? No, and actually I didn't know that he was even a voice in that movie until we were preparing this show. Yeah, I mean, this is a movie I saw, and I knew that The Rock was doing a voice in it. And when the when the main character first shows up, I said, I heard the voice, and I was like, wow, that's they put The Rock's voice in that guy? Because yeah. a lot of times now with animated films, if you have a big star like The Rock, you draw the character to look like him, and they did not. You know, you all of a sudden see Frank Gifford show up with The Rock's <laughs> voice coming out of his mouth. <laughs> uh, the cast on this is fantastic, though. You have The Rock. You also have Sean William Scott, who's very, very funny throughout this. Mm-hmm. And you have Christopher Walken as the bad guy. And I think just with those three, there's great performances by Rosario Dawson in this film. I think Ernie Reyes Jr. is yeah. awesome to see in this. But I yes. think those three balance this film so perfectly. You get the muscle from The Rock, you get the sleaze from Chris Walken, and you get the comedy from Sean William Scott. Yeah, it almost kind of has like a throwback feel to it. And, I, and I'm not sure if it was ever like sort of compared to, you know, like Midnight Run or something like that uh, from the 80s. But it's it's sort of got that that feel where it it's not exclusively an action movie. It's not exclusively a comedy and you know nowadays you don't really see the, the you know the the blending of or the successful blending of genres within within one movie whereas you know in earlier times you used to see that all the time right yeah no i mean it, i think that was a very common thing i would when i was a kid i would consider movies like die hard uh mm-hmm. to be a comedy because yeah. when i watched him as a kid i thought it was really funny when he would say you know his one liners oh, take a break go to the park you know yeah. come out to the coast have a good time have a few laughs that stuff you know is really funny lines and to me you know a lot of these you know stallone films schwarzenegger films and other action films of the 80s had so many one liners that i just thought they were almost comedies yeah, and, and those movies almost became all about the one-liners. Yeah, yeah, it's really true. Now, Ernie Reyes Jr., I just want to point him out because he's 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 in this movie, you know, when they get to the jungle area, and he's just an actor I really like to see show up in things. Yeah, there's actually probably a half dozen things that people will know him from. <laughs> yeah, this is a guy well-known as a stunt performer. He's a, you know, a martial artist. And he's been on screen with with some some great people, including in other movies. He's been on with uh, with you know Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull, and you can't blame him for that. He just was yeah. on that Red Sonja with Arnold Schwarzenegger, who you know yeah. shows up in this movie, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movies. You know he does some stunt double work, does you know some character work, really really great. And then Surf Ninjas, which is a guilty pleasure of mine. Uh, yes. Which, if you ever get a chance to see it, he's really funny in it, and it's a, a really fun, stupid movie to watch. 
Mm-hmm. And he was also on a TV series as as a kid. He he was on that show Sidekicks, not to be confused with the Chuck Norris movie Sidekicks. Ah, very interesting. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. All right. So let's get right into this. Let's talk about this movie. We get Beck, Dwayne Johnson, and he's a retrieval expert, but he's he's obsessed with cooking. <laughs> yeah. He's he's sitting outside a restaurant and he's he's listening to uh uh that famous TV cook from Argentina. What's his name? You know oh, what I'm talking about, right? The guy that's on the radio that's you know the guy would say, Bam! We yeah, gotta oh, put a oh, little bam into it. Emerald Lagasse? Very good. I couldn't yeah. I, I couldn't think of his name. I knew you would. Uh Emerald Lagasse's on the radio. I've always remember Emerald because he does an Italian act, but he's not Italian at all. And uh uh he, he talks about the porcini mushroom, and the rock is way into the porcini mushroom, writes it in his little notepad. And then he goes into this this club, you know, and they they set aside, you know, they're like, oh, it's a hop, happening club, you know, and he comes in and he sees, you know, the guys that he's supposed to get 50 grand from, right? Yeah, it's um, a, a sports star. Yeah, so, and, and this I like. I like this scene <laughs> where we see all the different athletes that are in the club and we get to see footage of them playing. You know, and we get some close-ups, and you get this real ESPN feel, and you know that this movie's going to be fast. You know, at this point, we're going to get, you know, this movie, at least for this opening scene, isn't going to let up on you. And so he talks to his buyer. He says, you know, uh, what do you want me to do? And he goes over to the guy. He says, I want your Super Bowl ring. And he's trying to be cool with it. He's like, look, just pass it to me under the table. You don't have to let anybody know. Yeah, he's not there to embarrass the guy. He's just there to do his job. And then the guy mistakenly thinks he's a fan that wants an autograph, yes. which was such a funny scene. And and The Rock played it so well because he takes the autograph. It almost seems like he wants the autograph. And, you know, he has a smirk on his face, but then it's back to business. Yeah, I think the thing of, that I like about this scene is The Rock is, a, you know, he's the guy that if you need a guy to come retrieve money from you, the Rock's not a bad guy to do it because he's going to be as nice as he can. You know, mm-hmm. he's he's almost like Rocky working for Gazzo in 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 uh, in the first Rocky movie where he's like, you know, I don't want to break your thumb. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. He yeah, he's even got that. that that sort of philosophy he uses throughout the movie where he says we can do this a couple different ways. You right. know, we can do it the easy way, the hard way. You know, it's kind of a, a movie cliche, but it works incredibly well in this. I mean, within the first. Five minutes of this movie, we've got a pretty good idea of who this Beck character is between his notebook and the way he does business. Yeah, so he calls up the uh, the guy he's working for, and he says, look, uh, he doesn't want to give me the ring right now. Why don't we do this another time? The whole line the whole line is here. The whole offensive line is here, and, <laughs> and they might be due for a Super Bowl. You know, they've got a good season here. I don't want to mess this up for him. And so he's told he's got to go mess it up for him, and he goes and takes them all out. Yeah, and what a great, you know, fight sequence. It's, you know, in a, a club, you know, it's, a, you know, a dark club with the lights and the, and the music and, you know, it gets really physical and, you know, it, you know, it's rock fighting with other big guys. It wasn't one of those things where, you know, you're, you, you're going to believe that, you know, the rock's going to have an easy time taking care of business. Right. And the rock is, is beating a man up with a turntable. <laughs> So yeah. I, I love this opening scene from Arnold Schwarzenegger right when you come in going have fun to, you know, the, the ESPN style clips to the Super Bowl ring thing. I just love it. He gets out of the club. He's kind of beaten up. You know, he's just yeah. fought four or five guys, but he still wants to finish writing Porcini Mushroom <laughs> on the on the notebook. 
and yeah. all of a sudden this guy shoots beanbags at him. Yeah. <laughs> this is when we heard the name of another wrestler. Yes, Meng. <laughs> the guy did the stereotypical accent where he goes, are you all right, Meng? Thank you, Meng. <laughs> Which I thought was was really funny. We we find out soon enough that it didn't matter. This guy was working for the same guy, Walker, that that Beck was working for. So it didn't matter. The Rock was was going to this guy's house anyway. But th- this shows you that Walker's not a good guy. He doesn't even trust the Rock who's working for him. Yeah. And Rock wants to get out. I mean, he really has dreams of just getting out of the business and opening a restaurant. And he goes to Walker and says, that's it. I'm, I'm done. This yeah. is I'm, this is it. He Give wants, me my money, and that's it. He wants to open up WWF New York or yeah. the Nitro Grill, the WCW Nitro Grill. He wants he wants something like that, a very stable establishment that will be around for many years. <laughs> I'll tell you, every time I go into Manhattan now and walk by what is now the Hard Rock in Times hey, Square, I think of – Mm-hmm. I think of WWF New York and and I and I get a little weepy. Now we went there quite a few times. I would say three or four times we went there, and we every time we went, we had this thing where we'd be like, "This may be the last time we're here," because we we always thought it had to be a short term thing. Yeah, and uh, it was great. It was a uh, it was a fun place to go. You'd have a thousand TVs, and you get to watch wrestling all the time. Didn't matter what was on. You know, the World Series is on. Great. There's still wrestling on most of these TVs here, and I loved it. I remember sitting there and you know eating you know crazy you know food named after wrestlers. It'd always be you know like you know uh, uh, Vader's meatloaf or something. Yeah, yeah, and they used to do the. The pay-per-view, I guess the, the the Sunday night heats before pay-per-views, they would actually have a superstar there mm-hmm. uh, during the live, I guess, countdown show. Yeah. Now, the Nitro Grill, on the other hand, that was out in Las Vegas. I never went there. Have you been to the, the building where it was? Do you know where it was? I believe so, and I, I didn't double-check it 100%. So you didn't sit there and say it was right here? <laughs> no, but I think right now it is. it, it was in... Um, I want to say, was it in the MGM? Well, let me see here. Um, I have the Nitro Grill hat right here, and it says, hold on, let me grab it. Hold on. Okay. Fill time. Yes, and the Nitro Grill had one of the funnier menus. I I know Guy has an actual (laughs) menu from the Nitro Grill, and it was all, you know, even even wackier-themed meals than the WWF New York had. You know, you had, like, the the Bill Goldberg burger and yes, you, you know a Kevin Nash meal if I remember correctly That's right um, I have the hat here I I'm sorry to say it does not say where it was located it says Nitro Grill Las Vegas grand opening weekend May twenty second nineteen ninety nine where the big boys eat <laughs> so okay, if it if it wasn't MGM I'm thinking it might have been Excalibur it does and that it's there's gone. a restaurant there that changes names a lot yes. and it is currently a Leonard Skinnerd themed restaurant. Oh, that is awesome. So, so there was a time where you could go on either coast and eat wrestling food, but but now you have to go down to Georgia to Abdullah the Butcher's place if you want a good wrestling meal. Yeah, and it was actually even what there was Hulk Hogan's Pasta Mania at one point too. <laughs> That's right, yes, and in many places, including the Mall of America in Minnesota. So, if you want to go get Sean William Scott, you've got to go down south to South America. Yeah, this is like, one last job he'll like do. My transition. <laughs> yes. 
Yeah, so this is the last job. Beck's going to do one last job for Walker. He's going to go down there and get his son. He says, why don't you just offer your son the money to come back? And he's like, that's not the way I do it. It's going to be hard. you got to go down there and get him. Yes. So he, he ends up in El Dorado, and it's got the interesting nickname of Hell Dorado. Clever. <laughs> we uh we see Travis at the bar. Travis doesn't want to go and he does the two options, you know, and uh mm-hmm. uh Travis is like, "Look, I'm I'm close to discovering Ogato di Diablo, the devil's cat." Yes. And and Beck doesn't care. He handcuffs him and he gets ready to leave. And there's one thing I want to point out in this. In in movies, there's a a pinball sound effect that's used anytime there's pinball, it looks like in any movie. And if you have an iPhone, and you go to your ringer and you choose pinball, it's that. And so when this went off, that's the ringer on my phone. I kept looking <laughs> at my phone and going, oh, I got a call. Oh, I don't have a call. Interesting. And then, you know, it had happened again, you know, and I'm, oh, another call. And I'd look, oh, I don't have another call. Very interesting. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, it's it's rather annoying. I've now noticed it pops up quite a lot. So there is a pinball machine in the back of this really cool looking bar. And we see Hatcher come in, Christopher walk in, and he, you know, he stops Beck from taking uh, Sean William Scott out of the bar. Yeah. This little person then runs out slowly, <laughs> which is one of the craziest moments in this movie. Everything stops and a, a short, you know, man, a man of short stature just runs out and, and everybody <laughs> stops and watches him. And that might have been Vince McMahon's only contribution to this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I could totally see Vince being like, and that would really make it funny. You know, that would be great. <laughs> okay, Vince. <laughs> so Hatcher wants the gato, and he says it's worth a lot of money. And, you know, and Beck defeats Hatcher's goons. They head to the airfield. And then the movie becomes pretty much a road movie. We get Travis in a Jeep with with Beck but then Travis says oh I I'm sorry about the fall or I'm you know I hope you're ready for the fall and then he knocks them off a mountain and boy they roll down this mountain yes it was one of the falls that I think is only rivaled by the the fall Andy Sandberg takes in Hot Rod <laughs> where they really I mean it's it's really violent I mean they're they're crashing down they're they're hitting trees yeah, and it, it was lost. one of those things where I'm like this is the end of the movie yeah, they're it lasts so long so then Sean William Scott has to pee. We see some monkeys that want to have sex with the rock's head. Um, we see uh, some local resistance. You know, these these guys that are that are working with uh, an actress that I know you're rather fond of. Yeah. Rosario Dawson. And and so what is what was her career? Do you know how established she was at this point and what kind of movies she's done since? Um, I think she was, this was pretty much still the, you know, the early part of her career. You know, she started as a teen in, in this movie Kids where she was pretty much recruited off the streets uh, to, to act in that movie. And I think right around this time, she also did like Men in Black 2, which really sort of, you know, blew her up a little bit more. And then since then, she, she's done all kinds of crazy movies. She did the Oliver Stone movie Alexander. Um, she did that movie, the, the movie musical Rent. Uh, and she did Clerks too with uh, with um, for Kevin Smith. Yes. So uh, once they run into her, there's a big fight. They decide to team up. They go behind a waterfall to a cave, and this is where the movie kind of lost me. And and I watched it twice for this, and both times I kind of started to fade at this point. 
Yeah, you know what? It's funny. Uh, I watched this a, about a week ago at this point, and I didn't have a chance to watch it again. So there's some cloudy parts of this movie. Yeah, I mean, I think the I think part of the thing is with movies like this. Sometimes when movies are really silly, and this is a silly, dopey action film. When they start throwing heavy plot at you, you're like, whoa, whoa, I'm not prepared for this, sir. And so at this point, they're kind of talking about the artifact, how Travis says he's going to give it to a museum and they don't believe him. And they, they, she, she double crosses both of them by giving them this fruit, the toxic fruit of Canobos. Yes. And you actually get to see the effects of this, of this fruit where, everything starts to get distorted and it starts from Sean William Scott's perspective and the rock's head starts to shrink and get bigger and his features get distorted. And what'd you think of this effect? (laughs) I felt like I was in an an Oliver Stone movie. Speaking of Oliver Stone. (laughs) Yeah. A little natural born killers for you. Yes. It was very weird. So we uh, we see them, they're, they're paralyzed, and she leaves, and she's like, oh, I'm leaving the fire on, and then in the morning the fire goes out. Rock then does his best performance where these monkeys show up, and he's like, go away, monkey, don't touch us, monkey, oh, monkey. And then all of a sudden Rock gets so worried about these monkeys that he realizes he can stand up, and he kind yeah. of falls down a little bit, but he's back on his feet. The poison has left his body. It doesn't kill you. It just paralyzes you for a short time. And so... They head on up and they come up with this big plan to overtake Christopher Walken. Yeah. And actually that previous scene, mm-hmm. it was some of the, the best physical acting I think I've seen from The Rock with, you know, where he's slowly overcoming the effects of the, you know, the, the being paralyzed right. by the fruit. You know, it was, it was, it was really cool. This is, you know, I, I hate to say this, but I think Rock did some of his most interesting acting, if you will. In this movie, not to say that stuff he's done since then isn't as good, but it seemed like he was really tapping into something special here. Yeah, I I thought so. And I do love this ending. The second time I saw this, I couldn't wait for them to get to this big ending. It's a it's a giant third act. And it starts out with this guy who we've met before, who pilots the plane and he comes out with these bagpipes and he's playing the bagpipes. And Christopher Walken's goons are looking at him, wondering what's going down, what's happening here. And all of a sudden, you hear this rumbling, and you see things start to tip over, and this cow stampede comes through, and I loved this. Yes. Uh, they start this assault on them. There's, you know, there's there's gunfire going back and forth. Travis is going is in like inside of a bus, shooting out through the bus, and and Beck finally, and you see the moment where he's like, I have to shoot a gun because prior to this in the movie, he had said, I don't like to shoot guns. You know, I'm not I'm not a fan of guns, but he can take that gun and ping, 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 take out Hatcher's goons, which I really like this scene. Yeah, yeah, no, it was the the action beats in this movie, you know, were were really really well done. It was w- one of those movies where the actions it's choreographed well, and you never lose sight of who is where and what is going on. Which a lot of modern action movies that has a tendency to happen. So Christopher Walken's character Hatcher tells the guard take Mariana which is Rosario Dawson, and the Gato, which is this beautiful uh, statue. It's like a gold statue, maybe like a foot and a half tall with a lot of little rubies. We did find online that you can buy one. If you've got the money, you can buy a replica of this. 
And he says to take this and go. And they're stopped by Travis. He takes the gato and he leaves. Hatcher comes up, confronts Beck. Beck grabs a gun, shoots Hatcher's gun right out of his hand, which I thought yeah. was a really cool shot. Yeah. Hatcher is then confronted by the townspeople, and he's starting to walk away. And this is where he makes the reference to Oompa Loompas. I thought this was really funny, and I watched the commentary on the DVD, and this had an interesting little note about this. Okay. According to the director, apparently Christopher Walken had never seen Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, so he didn't know what an Oompa Loompa was. And so (laughs) when they're directing this scene... The director was like, oh, you know, it's Oompa Loompa. And he's like, I don't know what that is. And so he said, oh, my God. All right. And so they went and watched Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. And then afterwards, Christopher Walken was like, all right, it makes sense now. I got it. And he went out and did the line. That's great. <laughs> so I thought that was great. And and you think he's going to get away. And then all of a sudden, the bullet takes him and he falls down <laughs> and just freeze frames. Uh, and then Travis says, you know, he wasn't, he, 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 uh, he didn't really leave them because he had a chance to get away at this point. Yeah. He gives the gato to Mariana and the two of them leave the villagers celebrate and gather around this, this gato. Gato is, is, uh, is Spanish for cat. <laughs> yes. It's funny. I remember that because I don't remember who the standup was, but somebody used to do a standup routine about watching the 80s sitcom Alf in Spanish. Spanish. <laughs> and the punchline of the joke was Don Donde esta el gato? Okay. Ha. <laughs> and I wish I remember who the the comedian was, but for some that reason that's though. how I learned that gato was cat. It's so funny you say that cuz I have a weird way that I learned this too. I learned this as a kid from either the TV special or the book of the Cat in the Hat. Because okay. in the Cat in the Hat, there's a song, and I, I assume this has to be in the TV special, where they're they're saying cat hat in France, chat chapeau in Mexico, un gato in a sombrero. And I remember this song. I haven't seen this probably in 20 years, but I remember that so clearly. So anytime I see a cat, immediately it's one of those. It's like if I see milk, I go leche. I see cat, I think gato. So. That's all I kept thinking every time they say gato throughout this. I was hoping that at the end they were going to be like, here he is, and be like, meow, and I'd be like, wow, they caught a little cat. And this was this whole movie was to get back this kitten. Uh. So the villagers celebrate, and, and they go back to the U.S., and Travis is delivered to his dad, who's awful, just a yeah. mean jerk. He's exactly what we expected of him. Yeah, you can totally see why Travis didn't want to hang around his dad. He smacks him across the face, talks down to him, but he's cool with Beck. He likes Beck, and you know, and Beck obviously is, has had some weird bonding uh, with with Travis, especially when he had to unzip his pants so he could pee earlier. Yes, uh, I mean that is a bonding moment when when a guy says to you, "Look, you've got to unzip it," and then I don't know how Travis does the the jump up and down to get everything lined up, but somehow he does it. <laughs> I mean, it's, I, I'm just I'm saying I'm impressed. I don't believe yeah. it. They don't show it, so there wasn't a stunt man. There was no wire work down there in the crotch, but I just don't believe it could happen. Yeah. So uh, so the dad's really awful. And Beck says, hey, why don't we celebrate? There's a there's a fruit here that they eat down there. It's a wonderful fruit, con 
Con Lobos. And he pulls out one of these. It looks like a pear, basically, with Mm -hmm. some kind of weird, you know, round things in it. Cuts it open. They're all taking a slice. Hey, you take a slice. I'm going to have a slice. And then they all start seeing everybody's head get bigger and smaller and paralyzed, which is a wonderful payoff to the earlier scene. So they're all paralyzed. Beck and Travis go out to leave. And then Travis starts to say all the kind of annoying jerk things he's been saying throughout the movie. And Beck's getting really annoyed with him. Yeah, he did this uh, thing throughout the movie where he he kept on threatening to beat the rock up. And, you know, he would (laughs) do... uh, Throw phantom punches and 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 just talk, you know, the, the kind of smack you'd probably hear in a WWE ring before a fight. Yeah, he did some some great moves. The one I liked was he'd say, "You see this foot? Whoa! Watch the foot! Whoa!" And then he'd hop over and Rock would just punch him. It really reminded me of that great scene in Indiana Jones with the guy flipping the sword around and Indiana Jones just shoots him. Yeah, yeah. I really, really like Sean William Scott. It, it's funny of all the people that sort of came out of. American Pie, you know, you have Jason Biggs, you have Chris Klein, you know, you have Tara mm-hmm. Reid. You know, of all the people that came out of that movie, when I saw that movie, I didn't think that Sean William Scott would be the one that went on to have what is turned out to be a really, really interesting career. Right, yes. And a and very successful guy that you see yeah. pop up a lot. Yeah, he's very, very funny. And I think he was perfectly utilized in this movie. There is a line that happens at this ending sequence where they're arguing, where they're getting ready for their fake fight that stood out to me because it's directly lifted from one of my favorite movies that we've talked about on this show before. Uh, Sean William Scott goes, I'm going to bust you up. And Rock (laughs) goes, go for it. And this is the exact exchange from the final fight at the end of Rocky three. Oh, that's great. At the end of Rocky three, Rocky's going up to fight the rematch against Clubber Lang. And Clubber Lang looks at him. And I always loved Mr. T's delivery on this. A lot of people love the line before the first fight earlier in the movie where Mr. T goes, dead meat. But this line, he looks at him and he just goes, I'm going to bust you up. And he looks up and down Rocky like, I'm so sorry that you have to take this, but I'm going to beat you senseless. You know, it's almost <laughs> like he, he, he really does pity the fool. And yeah. Rocky goes, go for it, you know, which is which has become a tagline for all of the Rocky movies. That's a, you know, a phrase Rocky says all the time. Uh, and they use that in this. And I Googled this to find out if any other movies have ever used this. And I couldn't find any other reference to it. I can't imagine that this wasn't intentional. It's not mentioned on the director's commentary that I heard. So I yeah. don't know. But I can't imagine this was an accident. Yeah, I bet you it was probably one of those things where they they were they had probably had a couple of takes where they were allowed to just riff, and it was probably something that developed organically on set. And then they were like, "Wow, that's really funny. Let's use that." Yeah, could you imagine? Maybe you know that day, you know, in the Rock's trailer, they're watching Rocky Three. Who knows? The Rock might yeah. love that series. Why wouldn't he? And you know, they actually start doing lines from that movie in this movie. I think that's great. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that's the ending. They, you know, they don't get in a fight. They decide to, you know, go together and, you know, ride off into the sunset. I'm so sad we didn't get a rundown too. And it doesn't look like it's ever coming. No. And I know that Peter Berg had said that there was an idea for one. And uh, I guess apparently the box office just wasn't strong enough. And which is, you know, you, you can argue that the box office might have been not, not been good enough, but the rock is at such a different point in his career now where, you could make a sequel to this, and I think 
it would do business. Well, let's talk about The Rock being at a different point in his career. I noted to you, and I know you said you, you agreed with me, this guy doesn't look like The Rock we know today. I know, and I, it, he he looks a lot different. You know, his 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 build is different. Physically, he he's different. He's got hair. Yes, <laughs> he's got a head full of hair in this movie. Yeah, it was kind of it. It was kind of you know a little bit of a shock because we you know we just watched him recently in Fast Five. He was at the Royal Rumble. Um, so you're used to seeing you know what The Rock looks like in 2000. 12 and 2013. So to see him in 2000, 2003 was kind of a, a little bit of a shock. Now we talked about on the fast five episode and I don't want to bore people with totally repeating it, but I do feel some of this bears repeating. We met the rock years ago before he was a star and yes. he was such a non-star that he just showed up in his own car and got out, got the IC title out of the back seat and then sat there and signed autographs for everybody. Yes. I remember watching this guy early on in his career. He was, you know, he he would fight against, you know, bad guys and he would come out, you know, and he had his hair poofed up. Remember, yeah. he had like, you know, long pieces of hair poofed up on the top of his head and he had like shiny, shiny ring gear, you know, almost like the rockers would wear. <laughs> And he would come out and give it 110%. I remember him being seconded by his father going into a match against the Sultan, who became uh, Rikishi. Rikishi. Yeah. And the Sultan was seconded by Bob Backlund and the Iron Sheik. And it was a really you know weird moment for wrestling. But he came out, and what happened was the fans turned on him. Fans didn't like him. Yes, you know, that's where you got the die, Rocky, die chant. Yes. Can you imagine people chanting? And this was at the tail end of the Hulk Hogan era. You know, yeah. this was be, this was what became the Attitude Era. But at this point, for fans to chant for a wrestler to die, yeah. I mean, this was crazy. You know, and the fans just turned on him. And so then he joined the Nation of Domination and, you know, slowly started to morph into the character that, that we – then saw to the end of his career in 2003, and then he disappeared showing up two or three years ago, you know, started having his little appearances first. He showed up on the SmackDown anniversary from his house in front of his glass display cases with his, you know, Brahma Bull title. Yes. And then, A lot of belts in that display case. Oh, it was beautiful. I, yeah. I, I wonder if that's legit or if that was just something they set up for the shot. You know, I'd like to yeah. think that at least in his basement next to his, you know, water heater, there's a display case with his belts. But so then they, they you know, then he, he came back, you know, to host WrestleMania, you know, the WrestleMania in Atlanta, Georgia. And it was such a big deal that he was coming back. Vince announced he was going to have an amazing guest host for us all at WrestleMania. And they went, dum, 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 dum. lights came down and then the lights came up and it was The Rock. And everybody said, oh, my God, The Rock. We haven't seen this guy in a ring. I mean, we saw him on that promo, but that was pre-recorded. Yeah. And he said, I'm back and I'm never leaving again, <laughs> which wasn't exactly true. But hey, at this point, he's come back a few times. So at least he's kind of stuck around. It's, it is saying something. I mean, I don't think Tom Cruise would do this many appearances for WWE. Yeah, you know, and I think it really sort of speaks to his his commitment or his you know his gratitude towards what the industry did for him. Yeah, um, because there was a point where I didn't think we'd see The Rock 
really involved in WWE anymore. It's so true. I remember telling people, I said, oh, he'll be back one day. And I remember Mm -hmm. telling people that weren't wrestling fans, and they said, no, he won't be back. He makes $20 million a picture. And I was like, I don't know. I feel like he is, this is in his blood. This is Mm -hmm. in his family. These guys can't escape this. You know, this is an industry that once you're a part of it, you never want to really go away. And, and I, I kind of feel like when he came back, he was like, wow, why did I ever leave this completely? You know, why did I yeah. go away for good? This is, this is it. Yeah. And I think, you know, when you're removed from the grueling road schedule that they do and, you know, you're, you're, you're working a lighter schedule that you really, start to see the joy in it again. Right. And I got to say, when he came back and, and he's had a handful of matches now, for a guy who doesn't wrestle full time, he looks really good in the ring. Yeah, he does. He gets winded, but he looks really yeah. good in the win- in the ring. I do have to say there probably is a feeling that is a little better about going out there in front of 20,000 fans, 30,000 fans, mm-hmm. or like he was in Miami in front of 69,000 fans yeah. cheering your name to being on the set with Sean William Sott saying, go for it. And then their director going, okay, let's do that again. Go for it. Okay. Let's do it again. Go for it. You know, there's yeah. probably something visceral about being right out there and having, you know, people chanting and cheering. So I, I think it, it is interesting and it's neat to see him at this stage in his career where, like we say, he looked very, very different. Yeah. But also at a point where he can come back and he's not coming back as an old man. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. Very true. State of wrestling at this time when this movie came out, uh, September 25th, the, one of the pitfuls died. Pitbull number two, Anthony Durante, uh, mm. big ECW tag team. Yeah. And, and he died the day before this came out. This was a really good tag team. One of them would come out, Gary Wolf, uh, and the other one, Anthony Durante, came out. He had chains around his neck. And these guys had a really good gimmick. They looked a lot like, especially Anthony Durante, looked a lot like Ryback. I mean, these were real yeah. muscled guys. And they tried to redo the uh, the Pitbull gimmick with um, uh, a couple wrestlers later on, and it didn't work out, you know. But the ECW original Pitbull gimmick was really cool. Yeah, yeah. And that was that was very sad. Uh, there was some happy news. September twenty first, two thousand and three, we got a WWE pay per view, Unforgiven. Yes, seven months after the closure of WWE New York. Ah. Uh sad pour some out uh (laughs) this this opened with sunday night heat remember sunday night heat i loved sunday night heat it aired on for the entire run it aired on mtv right yeah yeah, i believe okay Mm -hmm. and it was you know basically i i will say it may have moved over to usa at the end but yeah it was mtv for most of it yeah and it was one of the minor wwf shows which i you know i i really kind of miss they used to do a ton of those minor shows they had you know, uh, Sunday Night Heat, of course, Jack, Mania, uh, Velocity. Velocity. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And then the ones before pay-per-views were really special because you would get the pay-per-view build. Uh, and then you'd also get, you know, a match that, you know, would, would pretty much act as the curtain jerker for the pay-per-view. Yeah. And, and I will say, if you go back and look online, you can find a match between uh, uh, John Cena and Brian Daniels. Um, mm-hmm. you know, before he became Daniel Bryanson, you mm-hmm. can find matches with Samoa Joe and a lot of other guys that would show up on Sunday Night Heat for that one match. Yeah. 
So on this night, Maven defeated Stevie Richards. He was going by Steven Richards then and managed by Victoria. And that was in the Sunday night heat match, which was really cool. They'd, they'd pretend that they were at another arena usually and they'd mm-hmm. show some matches they had taped on Tuesday or whatever. And then they'd throw live to the arena and you'd see the announced team there ready to go and you'd get that first dark match and you'd get to see it there on Sunday night heat. Yeah, yeah, really great. And it's funny, you know, Maven was the first tough enough winner. But Stevie Richards is a guy, I think, you know, who really sort of got lost in the the shuffle in terms of his historical, you know, significance. I mean, he was an ECW guy. Right. He was sort of part of Raven's flock in WCW. Oh, yeah. And he had a great run in WWE, but he was just one of those guys where, for whatever reason, he didn't really ever achieve that level of superstardom. Right. And I think part of it is size. Yeah. Uh, but he really was was good on the mic and, you know, and could work in the ring uh, and, and you know, lost this match. But I loved his run with the right to censor. I yes. loved a lot of his other gimmicks throughout his, his WWE run, of course, his ECW run. Uh, another ECW. And you, and you talked to him on the phone at one point, right? Oh, oh okay. Yeah, let me tell this story because this is great. Um, he used to answer the phone if you called ECW to order tickets or to order merchandise. And so I remember me and my friends would say, you know, we think it's Stevie Richards when you call up. And so for years we would call up and, you know, we'd, we'd talk to him and we'd order stuff. And then we'd be like, are you Stevie Richards? He's like, no, my name's Todd or whatever. And then I, I for years thought, yeah, my friends were crazy. Maybe it wasn't really him. And then they did that ECW documentary and he talked about it on there. And I said, oh my God, I was one of the guys annoying him. <laughs> But uh, I love that story. ECW was fantastic. And there was uh, a couple ECW originals. The Dudley boys were in this fight against uh, Rob Conway and La Resistance mm-hmm. in, a, in a wonderful match, a uh, handicapped table match for the World Tag Team Championship. And uh, Dudley boys uh, uh, came out on top. Uh, we had Test defeating Scott Steiner in a singles match in six minutes. Wow. Doesn't doesn't bode well for Scott Steiner. Well, I guess Scott got the last laugh, though. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. Uh, Randy Orton with Ric Flair defeating Shawn Michaels. Uh, that was a great match, 18-minute long match. Trish Stratish and Lita against Molly Holly and Gail Kim in a tag team match. So-so match. I got to watch this card again recently, by the way. And oh, okay, cool. It is a solid match. Kane against Shane McMahon in a last-man-standing match. Kane wins this. Shane put his all into every match. I got to tell you, Shane is another guy. It's it's so sad that he you know he moved away from WWE and went on to other business ventures. But you're 100% right when you say that Shane gave it all in the ring. I mean, he turned in some great, great matches. And... When they put out the 50, I think, oh, my God moments. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There there was, you know, Shane made that list. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. And, you know, it was for match-related stuff. Yeah. He now, used to go corner to corner. Oh, I mean, he would fly, that guy. And he would, yeah. he would take crazy bumps that you didn't need to take if you were Vince's son. Yeah. You remember that one? It was a Kurt Angle match where oh, it might have been King of the Ring where yes. Kurt was supposed to suplex him through, through the, the glass, the glass mm-hmm. and it didn't break. So Kurt did it at least three times. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. It was horrible. Yeah. And he just kept hitting it, landing on his head, and then they'd yeah. get back up and try it again. 
Yeah. Yeah, I, I miss Shane McMahon. I, mm-hmm. I think it's probably too late for him to come back in a wrestling yeah. capacity, but I'd love to see him one more time do one more match maybe at WrestleMania because, God, he was fun to watch. Yeah. Christian uh, was on this. Christian at the time was the Intercontinental Champion, fought against Chris Jericho and Rob Van Dam, held his title. Wow. And you know what? On paper, that sounds like a great match. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's a and it's about a twenty minute match too. This is a yeah. solid match. I, you know, no wonderful spots, not super memorable, but a decent match. You know, from start to finish. Al Snow and Jonathan Coachman <laughs> defeated Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler. Wow! And <laughs> in a match for the right to be the commentators for Raw. Oh, okay. Wow. So, how long was? Jerry Lawler not a part of Raw for? Uh, I don't. Well, Jerry Lawler probably a little long. I don't know. I mean, I know they split <laughs> them up. I don't remember how long this lasted. It could have even been overturned the next night. I did not go and and follow up yeah. on it. I don't remember the amazing commentary team of of Al Snow and Jonathan Coachman. Yeah, I'll uh, tell you. Every time I I pass H, uh, ESPN on, on my, oh, my, you know, when I'm flipping channels and I see Coachman there, he's one of those guys that you'll, you know, as talented as he is as a broadcaster and whatever he's done with ESPN, every time I see him, I can't help but think of all the goofy stuff he did oh, yeah. in WWE. Oh, it's so true. So Goldberg on the, on the card <laughs> winning the World Heavyweight Championship from Triple H. Yep, Triple H putting him over. Putting over Goldberg. I don't know if that's the right move ever. <laughs> so this brings us to the all-important question, Craig. Do you tap out to the rundown? Even with a 10, uh, 10-year build be, you know, between me wanting to see this and actually seeing it, I got to say that the movie delivered on its expectation or the expectations that I had. As I said earlier, it sort of delivered a nice mix of action and comedy that we don't normally get to see. It's one of the, the rocks better early performances and all around it's just a fun movie with a great very talented cast just a really fun feel to it and i did not tap all right now i had gone into this movie remembering wow i loved this movie when i saw it years and years ago after seeing it in the chinese theater and seeing it on home video will it live up to those expectations i remember probably the first scene that all three of the main male actors are in i thought wow this movie is gold. This movie I could watch again and again. And so I watched it again. And I mean, I love this movie. It's not Shakespeare. It's not The Terminator. But it is a fun, fun movie. And if you're looking for a, a you know, a dopey, silly action film that's going to make you laugh, get you on the edge of your seat a few times, and at the end of it, make you feel good, this is it. I really like the rundown. So no, I do not tap out to the rundown. Awesome. So Craig... As I put on my WCW Nitro Grill hat and get ready to head off into the sunset, I want to thank you for joining me on this Camel Clutch Cinema. Oh, thank you. And I actually had a chance to look it up while we were recording this episode. And the Nitro Grill uh, was located in the Excalibur Hotel. So um, I'm now, pretty sure it is now the Leonard Skinnerd uh, restaurant. <laughs> is that hotel the one that looks like a uh, castle? Yes. All right. So, yeah, that's one you see a lot if you watch movies where they're in Las Vegas. They use that as an establishing shot because of its unique look. Yeah, it's it's right across the street from uh, New York, New York, which has the replica, you oh, know, yes. uh, 
the New York City coaster, skyline. Yeah, and the skyline. Yeah. So, yeah, if you're ever over there, go into whatever restaurant you find around there and just imagine that at one point Kevin Nash and Sting were sharing some meatloaf at that table. Oh, man, I'm starving. <laughs> That brings this one to a close. We will see you next time. Thank you so much for listening. This is Camel Clutch Cinema. So you want to wrestle, huh? You're too little. We got ushers bigger than you. Leave. I got to take a crap. Don't you see? Your skills plus my skills in the ring. Tag team. Howard Patrols is John Triton. What are you doing up there? Staying away from you. No more rhymes now. I mean it. Anybody want to feel it? What's that smell? Down goes Jimmy King! Oh my god, a four-post massacre! No one can survive this! This isn't even a pay-per-view!